1: A season which began and ended with disappointment, but in between came the chaos of a football season like no other in which at times Manchester United thrived and at other times they drooped. Chaos of a 6-1 defeat and a 9-0 victory. Victory in Paris and defeat in Istanbul. A thumping of leads, wins at City, last-minute blocks, 40-yard lobs, cup disappointment, penalty shootout despondency. And in the end, when it finally came to its conclusion after 61 games fans had finally returned. It's been some season, a long old slog at times. Welcome to our season review on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you've been listening throughout the season, thank you for joining us all season. Today, we're going to be discussing the season in general, of course, how we could rate it out of 10, what we understand Manchester United to be after another trophy season, but a second consecutive top-four finish. We'll be handing out awards of best player, goals, worst moment, etc. We'll remember things that happened this season that we'd forgotten. I'll give you a roundup of the seasons for the under-23s and under-18s, as well as the lone players. That'll be in the middle of the show then we'll talk about next season. What do we expect from our Premier League rivals? What do we expect from United? What does Solskjaer need to do in the transfer market? And what would make a good season in 2021-22? There's plenty to dive into, so let's do it. Beginning, Jack, with a rating for the season out of 10. If you could give me your rating, and then you've got 30 seconds to sum up why that is your rating as succinctly as possible.
0: My rating for the season is a a 6.5 out of 10. I think... it it definitely has to be above above a five above average for what we were expecting purely because of the league position the progress that we've made but i struggle to give it higher than say a seven purely because we haven't won a trophy and that feels like a glaring miss from the season so i think six and a half we made progress we certainly went in the right direction but we still have one Huge thing that we failed to achieve.
1: Yeah, I think six and a half is fair. I think if you're going off the basis that ten is a treble season, or perhaps an unbeaten treble season, which hasn't happened ever, um, but probably ten is a treble season. And I think probably yeah, seven is probably the the barrier of a trophyless season. And I think six and a half probably w- well sums up the ideas of progress without silverware, and that that really does define the season because we will look back on this and. Unless we're about to build some kind of dynasty that lasts for 20 years with Oregon and Solskjaer at the helm, we will probably look back at the season with little more than a cursory glance because we failed in the Europa League final. We went out of the FA Cup in the quarterfinals to Leicester City. We went out of the EFL Cup to Manchester City in the semifinals. And that was the problem. It's, it's such an odd one, and we've probably had this conversation a few times, but for, for a season's uh, legacy to be decided upon a few kicks of the game at the end of a final in May after the 61st game of the season is a little bit silly, but ultimately that is football, isn't it?
0: It is. And, you know, we said I said in the last episode how much I wanted to push back against the people who were sort of, you know, saying that the season was so terrible because we hadn't won a trophy purely because, you know, we'd lost a, a penalty shootout and that didn't invalidate everything that had come before it. And I stand by that completely. But you also have to accept that the nature of finals, the nature of those big games are that they are the most important games that we play all season. And ultimately this team history will look back on this team in terms of trophies won and lost, in terms of achievements and in terms of ultimately the silverware that they have brought back to Old Trafford. And until we've actually crossed that threshold, until this team can bring home a piece of silverware, there is always a natural limit to how much we can be pleased with the season, and how much we will remember a season. Now, I don't think I don't think that makes a trophyless season necessarily a bad one. I said I gave this season a six and a half. I don't think that's a, a bad season, but it also does create clearly a limit on how great a rating you can put put on it. I don't think we could, yeah. I don't think we could, in good faith, say that this season has been sort of an eight, nine out of ten when the trophy cabinet for Solskjaer and this team is is still bare. Think we can still acknowledge the positives that have come out of it, which we'll get into. Because I think, on the whole, this season has exceeded our expectations, especially across when you look at it from a a sort of whole season point of view, rather than just the trophies. This season, I think undoubtedly has exceeded a lot of our expectations, which is why it's still seen as progress. It's still seen as a positive.
1: Okay, let's let's talk the positives then. The positives are the development of a of a number of players, the development of the team in yeah. overcoming challenges that we failed in the past, the improvement of the defence as a whole, which was a massive problem in Solskjaer's first uh sea, full season in charge. Uh, a couple of summer signings having a good impact. Um The consistent the consistency improved a lot. Yeah. If we think back to I mean if we think first back to the start of the season, things were terrible. Things were really, really yeah. looking bleak, and I think a lot of us thought the social wouldn't last until Christmas. If you then think to Christmas and all the questions were instead about how inconsistent United were, we were going from beating Leipzig 5-0 to losing to Istanbul Basaksha here away from home because we decided to leave an entire what sixty-five, seventy yards of, of the pitch open for Demabar to run into. And that was the, it, it, that was kind of the theme of the middle of the season was inconsistency. Just as we got into the second half of the campaign, suddenly there was that surge forward, partly because Liverpool's form dropped massively, partly because City messed up a couple of times, partly because Spurs dropped off, but also because we built a really impressive run of form. And particularly we built consistency and we managed to win games that we otherwise often would have drawn. If you think about the Villa and the Wolves game at home uh, in between Christmas and New Year, I think they were, or certainly early January, the Villa one. That was kind of the middle of it. And then, and then things became, I guess, I guess things became a little more inconsistent again after that. But we have certainly built, we certainly built foundations. The problem was that the expectations we had at the start of the season were changed to mid-season when the teams around us were doing terribly and when we were suddenly doing much better. And the fact that we didn't then meet those new expectations does leave a a bittersweet taste in your mouth because this was a really good opportunity for United to win the league. And I I don't think that should be underestimated. This squad isn't the best in the league, the manager's not the best in the league and in any other season United wouldn't have a chance of, of winning the title but in this season in particular, in the chaos of this season, we actually did have a chance and ultimately the reason we didn't or at least the reason we weren't competing on the final day is because of a, a couple of things, because of inconsistency in the middle of the campaign, because of drop points in the second half of the campaign to Everton and to Sheffield United and probably most importantly because of the start of the season when we were it was truly woeful.
0: Yeah, it's been an odd season in that in that regard in terms of what we expected at different parts of it going into the season. I think most of us expected to be in a bit of a dogfight for the top four and probably would have been happy to finish third, given that we all expected city and Liverpool to still be clearly the the runaway favorites, the runaway teams in England. They were so dominant last season and we, we didn't really have a reason to expect that to change. It obviously then immediately at the start of the season, our expectations became a massively low bar because we started play with some woeful form, some awful results, obviously capped off by the 6-1 to Tottenham and the defeat to Besiktas here. So then expectations were really on the floor. A lot of us expected Solskjaer to be sacked very soon after that. Then expectations begin to slowly rise, slowly rise. And when Liverpool especially hit some bad form and we're suddenly we're top of the league for a week or so as we were, you know, expectations suddenly become we're title challengers. We can do this. This is our season to win the league. And then that tapered off. So we went from thinking we were top four contenders to maybe we wouldn't even get a Europa League spot to then thinking we, we should be the favourites for the title. And it, it The expectations have constantly yeah. shifted throughout the whole of the season. And it's, it's made it difficult, I think, for us to sort of know what this team is about. And it's something we're going to come on to in that there are still a lot of unanswered questions with this side. And we've talked a lot throughout the season about how it's it's quite difficult in some ways, to find margins Steve. yeah, it's fine margins exactly because I think if if man if Man City or Liverpool had gone on and, and had a hundred point season like one of them has done in the last few years i don't think we I don't think there'd really be any disappointment with our league result this year, but given that this was a great opportunity, you know the the threshold to win the Premier League reduced by about fifteen points this year compared to the previous couple, that presents for everyone an amazing opportunity, and, and we weren't able to grasp that, so it, it does leave a little bit of a, of a bitter taste yeah. in your
1: mouth. You mentioned it there. What are the, uh, what are Manchester United after this season? And I think the same applies to uh, a few of the players in the squad and, and to the manager as well. What is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager? What is Marcus Rashford as a player and what are United as a team? And yeah, there are so many questions that have some of which there were plenty of questions answered this season. And then there were another whole set thrown up into the atmosphere and now we're left in a situation where we look at going into the next season and you think, Will United make as many comebacks next season? Will we have to make so many comebacks next season? How much better will we be? Something that Solskjaer spoken about, how much better we will be when we have time on the training ground to work on things when it's not just a matter of rest play, rest play. And then there's there's all sorts of other, what will the Glazers allow Solskjaer to do this summer? Can Anthony Martial have a good season-long run of form? Are players like Diogo Delo going to be given another chance or are they going to be sold? Will that give us a bit more money to spend? And I think the the key one, the one that we still can't answer, and and this is something that none of us can answer, no matter whether you're a fan, a player, a coach, or no matter whether you look at football just by viewing it from from your sofa, whether you go to games or whether you take an analytical approach, all around the football world, people kind of basically agree. We still don't know how good United are. Are we really the best team in the country except for Manchester City? Or were we just best suited to thrive in a year of chaos? Will we actually get caught by an improved Chelsea team, a back to their best Liverpool team next season? could an Antonio Conte-led Spurs cause United problems next season? We, it's, it, those are just a few, there are I so mean, I, many I questions about United. This United side. Some, positive, the same some same season, of them are positive, some of them are negative. And I think that's one bad takeaway from the season. Is that we, we still don't so really know what we are. We can't we be sure We will never be
0: repeated in, in any other season. I've the, seen the sort of weird, idiosyncratic experience of playing in front of no fans and how that affects the intensity of games, how it affects different players more than others. That is still a factor here. The fact that for for many teams this season was a complete one-off. At least we think, whether that's in sort of good or a bad direction. You had teams like West Ham, obviously massively overperforming, at least compared to what we all expected. And then you had the likes of Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham to some extent underperforming, and Aston Villa performing so well at the start of the season. So you know it. It's a season I think where a lot of teams are going to be coming out of it wondering. Whether whether what has happened this year will be repeated, I think that for United the important thing is to think about what have we improved on this year that we can take in into the next next season. I think for me the the big one is player improvement that we have seen a lot of players in this squad improve in the last sort of ten eleven months of of this season, and that's what has to move I think in into next season and those improvements have to continue. But there are still so many unanswered questions, and I mean, we talked so much this season about the fact that our comebacks didn't feel sustainable, and yet they always were. But there's no guarantee that will continue happening next season. Will we still even go a goal down in so many games? We we don't know. You know, that's just one of many questions I think linger over this squad. I think mainly for me, in terms of a lot of players who, on their day, are good enough, but too often. It is not their day. And I think you could throw a lot of United squad into that. Players like Pogba, like Fred, like Rashford to some degree, like Martial, like Donny van der Beek, even Bruno Fernandes at times as well. And I think, you know, there's a lot of players in this squad who it, it, we, we're sort of unsure whether they are good enough and consistent enough, because you need both. Whether they're good enough and consistent enough to be... Leaders and full-time starters in a title-winning team. Yeah, I think ultimately what
1: what this summer is about is making sure that all those unanswerables become as insignificant as possible by having a deeper squad, by buying a couple of genuinely quality starters not just squad depth options but genuine starters to to make those unanswerables less important to make sure that even an improved Chelsea and an improved Liverpool and improved Spurs that we improve if not on the same rate as them but at a greater rate that's if if we I think that's part of the thing is what are United as a club not a team and this goes back to issues of ownership do Manchester United really want to win the title and if they do then more serious investment has to be made. And it costs so much money to win the Premier League title at the moment, apart from the Leicester City example. It costs so much. And do United really want to commit to that? And that's what we'll see this summer. Um, but I think, yeah, it's about making sure those Arnon balls are, are insignificant. And that means by getting as many small advances as you can, whether that's hiring a new coach to... Work on throw-ins or or work on eye movement, as Ferguson once did. Whether that's a new defensive coach, someone like Carlos Kiros, which is, a, I think, would be a massive step forward. And we can talk more about this in the latter end of the show when we we talk about what next for United. But I think that's the key. But on the subject of player improvement, there's probably uh, no better place to start our awards session and to thinking about best player. One of, I mean, it, it's one of two really. I think for for most fans and for certainly for most players as well, the United players player of the year went to Luke Shaw. The fans player of the year went to Bruno Fernandez, and and those are the two options. Which one would you plump for, Jack?
0: I think I would say purely because he was much more consistent over the course of the season, and probably also some recency bias because I think Bruno dropped off towards the end of the season while Shaw maintained his level. And Bruno was brilliant at the start of the season where Shaw wasn't. But I, I would go Luke Shaw because I think he was a more consistent performer for us than Fernandez.
1: Yeah. A part of best player is kind of you, you think about a change in, in that player and Luke Shaw's consistency from a, what a player who was so inconsistent in the past really adds to that. And I think just to talk on Shaw, the truth is, we I don't think anyone thought he had this in him even as far back as November people were doubting Luke Shaw we were if you think about the the 6-1 defeat to Spurs one of the main culprits for everyone was Shaw because his positioning was all over the place and there'll be ex- explanations for that or excuses for that and and I think we probably gave them at the time saying that he wasn't helped by his, his other three defenders in the back four and, and all of that kind of stuff and wasn't helped from the winger in front of him and the centre mids whatever but he had a terrible game against Spurs as most of the players on the pitch did but He's, he's, he's become impossibly good. The, probably the best left back in the league and certain to start for England in the Euros and, and all of that in a few months. We, I, I think we all kind of come to the conclusion that he'd left his best football. He'd lost it on the pitch when he broke his leg in the Netherlands in the 2015, but he's, I think if you th- you think about what Luke Shaw's improved on massively, and I I don't think I can isolate one thing. He's become more aggressive in his attacking play. He's confident. is immense, and it, it's it's almost as if he's just upgraded all of his attributes at once. A set pieces certainly he's become better at. his deliveries are better and, and he's created loads of chances uh, I think about the, the one that Lindelof scored from a, a Luke Shaw corner against Leeds he's also created loads of others that haven't been converted United have created plenty of chances from corners we just haven't scored them basically Shaw's been creating one every two games from a corner or a free kick but they're, they're just not being scored but it's as if Shaw kind of upgraded everything at once and does that come down to confidence?
0: I think confidence to to some degree yeah I mean it also might just be that from from what we whether we can't see on the training ground, he's been been given the instructions, the freedom, the, the confidence inspired in him by the coaching staff to go out there and, and perform every week. But confidence has to be a huge part of it. I think Shaw has spoken at length in the past about the fact that confidence is a really important part of his game, that he didn't feel like he had much confidence when Jose Mourinho was in charge because they did not have the best relationship, as we all know. And so I think that the, his relationship with... With Oli has probably translated a lot into what he's doing on the pitch. I think what's been incredible about Shaw and the way that he's improved this season. Often when you see a player improve, it's one specific thing that you can sort of put your finger on in their improvement. We've seen it with with other players at at United in the past, where we've seen it with Rashford, for example, with his shooting. That he's become much more clinical. He's still not entirely clinical, but that was a, has been a major improvement in his game in the last couple of years. With sure what was so remarkable about this season was that almost every single part of his game improved markedly from the last couple. Yeah. Both defensively and, and in attack, he has gone to completely new heights. He's become, I think, second only to Fernandez in terms of the creative spark in our team. And I think the stats back that up. But not only that, he's not done that while also making himself into a liability going the other way. He has still remained rock solid as a defender. I think he's improved as a defender. His positioning has got a lot better. In his one-on-one battles, he is—he is, he seems to have upped his pace a little bit. So he's not getting skinned on the outside as yeah. much, much as he was previously in one-on-one battles. Positionally, he's been—he's been excellent all season. There, there really hasn't been a weakness to his game, and that is really something that you, you don't often see.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting around the, uh, around the uh, player of the year awards and end of season. There were loads of interviews with United players kind of wrapping up the season and, and all of them when they were all asked about Shaw because he was in contention for player of the year and, and obviously won it in the end. And, and all of them pointed out kind of unquestioned kind of reserves and praise for Olegan and role in that. And I thought that was interesting. I think it's, it's the kind of thing we've. We've always said with Solskjaer is that his his best strength is his man management and the ability to get uh, get the most out of his players in that way. If not in terms of how he sets them up on the pitch, Shaw doesn't second guess himself anymore, and you can see it. His touch is, is spot on, and it comes from being confident. Shaw's so decisive in his play now, um, and. I think that Solskjaer style of management. It. it is, I mean, it's clear. It's it's straight from the Sir Ferguson book of taking an in interest in the whole life. And and Solskjaer's spoken about it a lot this season about Shaw becoming a father, but also about Shaw's uh, own relationship with his own dad, who goes to watch him in in most games. Went to uh, watch him against Astana in Kazakhstan, three and a half thousand miles away. Um. And and the confidence does tell a story. And it, yeah, the things you mentioned Uh, defensively uh, are crucial but he got five assists this season but it just doesn't tell the full story it should be so much more than that Um, he made more key passes than anyone else in the United team except Fernandes more successful crosses into the box than any other United player creating more chances per game than anyone except uh, Bruno Fernandes in terms of his own personal improvement going back to other seasons he's had Double the number of touches in the attacking third and the penalty area compared to the season before. He's carrying the ball more per game than ever before and for further distances. He was the uh, seventh in the uh, rankings of number of key passes played in the Premier League this season. Um, he's, it, it, it's, it's that ability to drive forward that we've so wanted from our fullbacks for so long. And I, you can only see this. Getting better. If United can start converting chances from set pieces, suddenly Shaw will be contributing an enormous amount from from fullback. And it, uh, we should move on in a second to some other things, but I'll I'll, I'll let you have the, the final word on Luke. Shaw. There's
0: just two more things that I wanted to say. Firstly, that he's not just become creative for a fullback; he's become creative. Full stop. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to to recognise just how good he has been at creating chances and putting himself in in positions to create for others. You mentioned their five assists. I've just looked up his expected assists stat, um, which is almost seven second highest in the team behind only Fernandez. So, you know, he probably deserved a few more. And especially I think in that period from sort of December to around the middle of March, I know from doing fantasy um, Premier League that the the underlying stats behind his, his creativity were unbelievable for those few months the other thing I wanted to highlight as well in terms of the confidence another thing I think that's become really important is just how solid that partnership between Shaw and Rashford has become down the left it obviously got a little bit um, a little bit interrupted towards the end of the season when Pogba played out there a few times and Rashford got moved out to the right but in general every single week you sort of knew that it was going to be Shaw and Rashford on that left. And they developed such a good understanding with each other. I can't count the number of times Shaw would go in the overlap and Rashford would play a pass inside the fullback into the space in behind for Shaw to run onto. And then Shaw would cut it back for someone. You know, th- that that relationship, that partnership was really, really blossoming on the pitch. I think that's so promising for us. And just having that familiarity with the person that you know, you're going to be spending a lot of time playing in very close proximity to is massive on the pitch.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think those partnerships are building across the team actually, and yeah. that's that is going to be key going forward. And um, hopefully, there'll be a few additional signings to then build those parts. It'd be great if Armand Besaca could have a, a similar relationship on the right hand side, or perhaps a uh, another right back with United, you know, very heavily linked with Kieran Trippier from Atlético Madrid and England. Um, let's move on. Best moment and worst moment uh, very quickly from you first and then I'll go.
0: So I I have five, I have five options written down for (laughs) each of these. That sums
1: up the season, I think.
0: The five and and then pick, yeah, and then pick my one. So my five for worst moment were Everton's late equaliser in the 3-3, the Europa League final for obvious reasons, but I'm, I'm going to discount that one just because it's so obvious. The first day and 6-1, which I'm sort of grouping together is just the awful start. Losing to Leipzig away then knocking us out of yeah. the Champions League. And I, then Denver Bar's goal against here. here. Uh, I
1: don't... From those ones, Denver Bar's goal was bad it? and uh, humiliating and summed up loads of problems, but it wasn't that. In terms of what really hit me, the ones that really got me, obviously the Europa League fan would discount that. Uh, probably... I can't tell whether I was more hurt by losing to Leipzig and going out of the Champions League or the 6-1, funnily enough. Because I think having beat beaten PSG, beating PSG having, having routed Leipzig 5-0, to then be knocked out and, and beating Istanbul was a 4-1. We'd had a good Champions League group and then to lose it then was really gutting, especially after you saw Chelsea go on to win it, I think. This was, this was not a Champions League group that full of quality I don't think we would have gone on to win it but we could have had a decent run in it
0: I think when I think of of best and worst moment I'm thinking of sort of one specific moment one specific instance that really in, t- in the case of worst moment was a, yeah. a huge sucker punch and so t- to be honest t- for me it wouldn't even be the 6-1 because there wasn't one moment that I could pinpoint. That was probably the low point of the season, yeah, but not yeah, the worst moment. Yeah. If that if that distinction makes sense, to me, the worst moment was Everton's equalizer in the three three. I I haven't felt as deflated about a game, a United game, as I did after that, with the exception yeah. of the Europa League final. That moment, seeing Calvert Lewin get on the end of that cross and poke the ball home, was yeah. so so gut wrenching.
1: Let's go to to best moment.
0: So the five that I had for best moment were Cavani's goal against Fulham on the return of fans, yeah. being Man City at the Etihad, Rashford's late goal against Wolves, Cavani's comeback, yeah. or Cavani inspired our comeback even against Southampton at St. Mary's. And then I realised I've, I've missed one. The last one that I had on here was slightly more left field, which was Baye's block against Villa at home. And then the one that I, I realised that I missed...
1: I'd suggest... Uh, was beating Liverpool in the FA Cup was a, a, when Bruno came off the bench to score that free oh, kick. Yeah. Obviously, we later went out, but it, yeah. was a, it was a pretty great moment.
0: That was brilliant.
1: i tell you what was, I tell you what's also up there is McTominay's second goal against Leeds. The, the second in three minutes. Was, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because all of the build up to the game, we were nervous going into it. Leeds were kind of confident. Like there, there was so much build up and that. We'd been waiting years for that. And of course, fans couldn't be there and it would have been utterly outrageous if fans had been there. But it was still brilliant. And it was just that sense of shock as well.
0: Actually, I'd, I'd probably add Rashford's winner against PSG to this as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was good as well. I think it's quite hard to decide between. I've for me personally I'll go the Cavani goal against Fulham just because I was there and it it had been yeah. so long since I was there and and that was uh not just brilliant but also kind of emotional just being back at Old Trafford after that long. Um we should
0: I think I think it has to be the Cavani goal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also like we will remember that Forever, whereas some of the other moments yeah. we kind of we will forget over the coming years. Um, we've we've kind of overrun a little bit, but let's let's go most improved player. We're going to rule out Shaw because we've spoken about him already. The two I there's there's two I could float in Scott McTominay and Mason Greenwood. I think there are actually quite a few others I think neither of those have improved to the extent that is obviously their award I also think Victor Lindelof's got better I think wan has got better I think uh who else I think those are probably the the main four I talk about yeah what, uh, but uh go on
0: when I when I was thinking about this I found it quite tricky other than sure because I think there are a lot of players that have improved but I don't think there's too many other than Shaw that have improved massively more than anyone else. I I completely agree with McTominay and Greenwood. The two others that I picked out were Wan-Bissaka and Maguire, actually. I I don't think Maguire has improved massively, but I think coming into... I I was trying to think back to what we all thought about Maguire coming into the season. I think we still had our doubts, and especially a few weeks in when he had that really shaky start where he, he got sent off for England... He had a poor start to the season with United and then we obviously had the 6-1 and there, there were a lot of doubts about not only his ability as a player, but more specifically about whether he was worthy of being captain of Manchester United. And I think throughout the rest of the season, he has been rock solid and he's got rid of any doubts about his role as captain. And we we saw how much we needed him when he was injured at the end yeah, of the season. Yeah, I think
1: that's fair. In terms of McTominay, I think his, his future is really interesting one. Well, I wrote something for United the other day and, and something else for United We Stand, which comes out soon, about McTominay because Celcian name-dropped him after the final, even though he lost, saying he was, I think he the, the quote was, absolutely outstanding, the best player on the pitch. And he was. And I thought, he he was very good. And I thought I thought it was interesting to think, had penalties gone the other way, what legacy was McTominay's performance leave there? I'm not talking over years, but just in terms of the next couple of months, in terms of the attention on him and his role going into next season. Because um, ultimately it was a matter of a few spot kicks and McTominay had a great game. And his improvement this season has been, uh, I think, gradual but consistent. And there's there's um, it's it's one that's kind of hard to go into very quickly, but he's basically just adding more in terms of his attacking contribution, and he's he's been working on his body shape and how he receives the ball and facing forwards when he receives the ball, and it is having a difference. And the same kind of applies with Mason Greenwood. It's it's the little things that he's been changing rather than anything massive, and but there has been that that steady improvement and. Mason ended up having a brilliant season he'll miss the Euros which is gutting for him personally but probably good for his long-term career
0: you completely sold me on on McTominay I I, I think he'd definitely get my vote now just as you were talking I was thinking about some of the performances that he's put in this season and he really has been one of our our best performers I think he he's become so much more of a contributor going forward he I think we all sort of saw McTominay as very much a holding midfielder when he first broke into the United team, and that is very much how he was used. But he's developed his attacking ability so much to the point that now he is a truly a, a, a box-to-box midfielder, without a doubt. He's obviously contributed with some goals here and there. And I think he, he is, he's upped his game to a level where now, I think, in our search for a central midfielder, which we've, we've obviously talked about a lot, and that we need to to find a new player to to come into that midfield role. I think now it's to the point where pretty much nailed on that they'll be playing alongside Scott McTominay in midfield.
1: Yeah, I think his future, I think he still has some way to improve to be a starting midfielder for United, uh, for a title-winning United team. I think, but he, (laughs) because I was checking back to comparisons to Darren Fletcher and the most games Fletcher played in season is still by some way fewer than McTominay played this season, and I think that speaks volumes for the kind of role that McTominay should be in. And if he can replicate the career of David Fletcher, he'll have, he'll have done very well. And I think that's the kind he should be. He is a better player in big games than he is in small games because of the nature of his game and the nature of his attributes. And bringing him in for big games while not playing him in small games is absolutely fair. You 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 tailor a uh, a a midfield or any player's uh, starting time and their minutes based on where they do best and how much they help the team. And so I think McTominay's future role should probably be as a third midfield option for United rather than one of the starting two in every game, rather than one of the first names on the team sheet as an option for big games when you know you can rely on him and you know he can give you some abrasiveness as well as some, some driving force running forward with the ball.
0: I do um, think he's got a higher ceiling than, than someone like Darren Fletcher though. I, th- I think the comparison is fair based on play style. But I think where has more, maybe not more strings to his bow, because Fletcher was a famously versatile player. But I think he he's a bit more specialist than, than Fletcher in that. I think he's he's probably better on the ball. I think he's able to contribute more with the ball at his feet against not necessarily in big games. You know, against teams that sit back. I think he he Fletcher was always a, a, something of a, a it was a useful player for United. I love Darren Fletcher. But he was never the main man in any team. But we've seen McTominay has the ability to be the main man for United in, in some games. I don't not not don't think he'll ever be sort of the main guy at United. And I do agree, Harry, that his ideal role probably would be as a third choice central midfielder. But I think yeah. at this point in his career, he has the potential to be a much more influential, I think, on the ball than a uh, than a down yeah,
1: I'd agree. We're going to have to wrap this one up in a second, but I think, I think Fletcher was much better at protecting the defense than McTominay is. Yeah. And McTominay could be much better than Fletcher. And and the word is could at uh, adding things in attack and being a proper box to box midfielder, whether that is what his future holds, we'll see. Um, but he needs to, he, he has to be arriving into the box late and doing what he's been doing more of, which is carrying the ball forward and, and progressing United up the pitch. Um, and that a lot of that comes down to how he receives the ball and and how he views the pitch around him, which he's been working on. Before we go to the youth roundup for the season, um, and then after that we'll talk about next season. I just wanted to. <laughs> I, I wrote a little list of things that I was trying to wrap my brain for about a day of things that we might have forgotten this season that happened and that might be surprising, and I came up with a few, including uh, Fred playing at left back against Southampton in a 9-0 victory for, for, I think, about 20 or 30 minutes. I'm not quite sure. Also, I think the it was, most... It was
0: more than that, I think, because I'm pretty sure we took Shaw off at, at half-time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the, the Brighton game, I think we'll all remember and just it kind of summed up how chaotic this season was us scoring after full time to beat Brighton but the fact that Trossard hit the woodwork three times in that game and Brighton probably should have scored six goals and absolutely thrashed us Um I think of the one I've got down here is most people wanting to replace Luke Shaw at the start of the season which is definitely true people wanted us to sign Reguilón he went to Spurs Spurs beat us 6-1 and everyone was like oh this is proof for Uh, why we should have replaced Shaw. And I think, I don't think we were quite as strong on that, but but there was certainly an element of that in all of us thinking. In that Spurs game, we scored the opening goal after two minutes. Um, A couple of others, Juan Mata was player of the month for September. Donny van der Beek scored on his debut as a substitute and then scored again a couple of weeks later. Um, And we played in front of fans in December when we beat Everton in the... League Cup quarter final I'd forgotten that one as well and I think one of the Q ones
0: I think we did against West Ham as well in the league yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten that one Um, and the final one Rashford came off the bench to score a hat-trick against Leipzig in the same week he got hundreds of thousands of signatures on a petition and I think that was that's one worth remembering that I'd kind of slipped out of my mind Um, just before we go to youth and uh, a lone roundup best goal of the season I'll leave this one to you mine's mine's Cavani
0: okay well again I I had a a list of of five I've got four from Fernandes and one from Cavani so I've also got Cavani against Fulham which probably would get get my vote but since I've given it best moment I'll choose something else so now I've got four Bruno Fernandes goals and I'll let I'll I'll see what you think is the best one so first we've got Fernandes against Everton at home yeah the sort of Cantona Rooney-esque. It wasn't wasn't so much of a chip, but sort of over the goalkeeper into the far corner. His free kick against Liverpool in the FA Cup. His goal against Newcastle way back in the first few months of the season to finish off that flowing counter-attack away. The second goal, I believe, in that 4-1 win. And then his first goal against Roma to finish off another brilliant team move where he gets the ball from Cavani and dinks it over the goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, yeah, all of them. I think the, the Roma one was such a nice move and was really satisfying after because we scored a similar goal to that against Spurs that was ruled out and that was really satisfying. Yeah. The free kick was good, but I think I've, you've, you've left one out there, the one against Istanbul, but Saxe here, the absolute thumping drive as it fell to him. I think the Everton one was probably the best out of... Out of his ones for me, it, it, yeah, yeah, it, it being Cantonaresque really helped uh, that become memorable for me.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think purely for, purely on the goal, the Everton one was the best. I think my favourite of those is actually the Newcastle one. That that move was, was brilliant, um, and, and I, it was like, that was one of my favourite goals of the whole season. Yeah,
1: yeah, the new yeah the Newcastle one was also a, a lovely move. Uh, in which Donny van der was involved. Right, let's go to yeah, uh, yeah. a reasonably extensive youth and loan roundup. If you're not interested, then you're going to want to skip forward by uh, eight minutes, eight minutes if you're not interested. But if you are, then here you go. There was some really good development in the academy this year. Managed by former United youth player and Stretford lad Neil Wood, United's under-23s finished 8th in Premier League 2 in a good, though inconsistent, season. The under-23s were promoted from Division 2 of PL2 last season and made the decision at the start of the campaign to allow a number of key players to go out on loan and experience first-team football elsewhere in England and Europe. That included midfield partnership Dylan Levitt and James Garner, centre-back partnership Ted Nmenghi and Dishon Bernard, as well as Ethan Laird and Tahith Chong. The result was a young squad compounded by injuries to a couple of players, most importantly Damani Melor, the striker, and the departures of Leo Connor, Luke Ercolani and Laji Ramazani in the summer. Stepping up in place for the absent players were a young cohort of fantastically talented players, the pick of the bunch being Arnold Pujmal, the midfielder, Ethan Galbraith, another midfielder, and Shola Shoretire, Hannibal Medjbri and Joe Hugo in attack. United made a decent impression in the EFL Trophy, thumping Salford City 6-0 in early September, progressing through the group and being knocked out by Accrington Stanley in a narrow 3-2 defeat. In the league, the team were free-scoring, hitting 6 against Liverpool, Derby County and Blackburn Rovers. The worst defeat of the season was a 6-1 loss to Chelsea, but revenge was gained in April with a 4-2 win. The side was inconsistent and too often loose at the back, but played some great attacking football, often with the finish coming from summer signing Joe Hugel. Neil Ryan's under-18 side finished just second to Manchester City in the under-18 Premier League this season with the title going down to the final day. It was a shame to miss out and the team will be kicking themselves after a couple of unnecessary defeats in an otherwise very, very good campaign. The under-23s, being a young side, had a trickle-down effect and so too the under-18s were a young outfit. That didn't stop them from scoring a shedload of goals. The Reds scored 79 times a league high in just 24 games, averaging more than three goals a game, which makes sense considering they scored four goals or more in 14 out of their 24 league games, an immense record. The problems, when they did come, came at the back with a couple of 4-3s and 4-2s. Joe Hugel thrived in this team at the start of the season before his promotion to the under-23s allowed Charlie McNeil to replicate his teammates' stunning goal-scoring form. The ex-City striker scored 25 goals at under-18 level in the season. Dylan Huggewerth hit 12 as well. Alejandro Garnacho, a Spanish winger signed from Atleti last summer, had a good start to life at United, finding the net seven times and having some exciting games. Dender 18s were often led by McNeil, but enjoyed a range of goal scorers. Players like Zidan Iqbal, Noam Emran, Charlie Wellens, Charlie Savage, Jizek hansen and Amari Forsen all contributed semi-regularly, helping the tally to tick up. It was disappointment in the FA Youth Cup, unfortunately. After beating Salford City 2-0 away from home in the third round, United were knocked out in the fourth round by Liverpool in a tight 1-0 defeat. United deserved to lose on the day, really, despite denying Liverpool too many chances, and it's now a decade since the club last lifted a FA Youth Cup, despite a string of good sides over the last five years. You can expect to see plenty of Hannibal and Chola Shuratire in the first team next year. But in the under 23s, look out for Alvaro Fernandez, the ex Real Madrid, uh, fullback. He had a really good season in both the 18s and the 23s playing at fullback, a bit higher up sometimes and in central defense as well when necessary. He really manages to drive forward down the wing very well. His touch is good and his, uh, And his chance creation is pretty good as well. Also look out for Isaac Hansen-Aaron, the young Norwegian attacking midfielder. He's very talented, very technical and gets stuck in as well. Alejandro Garnacho, who I just mentioned, the Spanish winger. And Noam Emran, the French forward, who's had bad luck with injuries since he joined United and will be hoping for a fully injury-free season next year, in which he'll hope to flourish as well. But great pace, great footwork and a decent finish as well for Noam Emran, so keep an eye out on him. United's loneese had a mixed year, as is always the case really. Some succeed, some do not. James Garner has taken most of the headlines. He spent his first six months at Watford, developed physically, improved the defensive side of his game, but enjoyed a in out spell in a team with changing managers. It didn't quite work out, and so that move was ended early, and instead he joined Chris Hughton's Nottingham Forest. He thrived there to the extent that the Championship side want him back next year. It looks like he'll stay with United for pre-season, be assessed by Solskjaer and the coaching staff before a decision is made on whether he'll stay at United for the season and get some first team minutes at Old Trafford or head out on loan again. Whether that would be to Forest or to a club higher up, possibly in the Premier League, uh, we can't tell yet. Elsewhere in the Lone Arena, Dylan Levitt had a hard time enduring difficult spells at Charlton Athletic and then NK Istra in Croatia. An interesting point to note here is that an ex-United scout is director of football and chief scout for the company who owns NK Istra. They also own Deportivo Alaves, which is where Facundo Palistri spent the second half of the season and did okay there in La Liga. Ethan Laird had a fantastic few months at MK Duns, his first loan move in his career. The right-back made 24 appearances in the league, contributing four assists. He only missed one match during his time at MK Duns in the league. A fantastic record for a player who's had a bad injury record before. Another season on loan is likely, I think, for Laird, and I'm, I'm just really pleased to see him doing well and staying injury-free. Teden Mengi joined Wayne Rooney's Derby County and played nine times for them in the Championship, eight from the start. He had to end his spell there early due to injury, but he was praised by Rooney pretty regularly and Derby fans too uh, before he left. His first appearance was a little shaky, but after that he did uh, did well and quite consistently too. His fellow centre-back, Dishon Bernard, made 29 appearances for Salford City in League Two. They just missed out on the playoff spots and he did well there. Thies Chong spent the first half of the season with Werder Bremen, moved to Club Bruges in January and played seven times for them. Had an alright time, but didn't set the world on fire. Diogo Dalot settled in well at AC Milan, played 18 times in Serie A, 10 times in the Europa League, including one appearance coming against Manchester United. Of course, he did pretty well there. I think we can expect him to go out on loan again or be sold this summer. Jesse Lingard, of course, did famously well at West Ham after joining them in January. Andreas Pereira didn't have an amazing time at Lazio in Syria. He played 31 times for them, but normally as a late sub and didn't really have a, enough of an impact to earn himself a first team spot back at United. Goalkeeper Jacob Carney had a great season in goal for Portadown, but Joel Pereira had a bad time at Huddersfield where he only made two league appearances in which he conceded 11 goals. He'll be leaving United this summer. Right, Jack, let's talk about next season. Uh, but, but before we do actually, I was, we've said this a couple of weeks ago when we were first discussing this. I never really watched as much of the, well, I have never watched as much of the Premier League as I have for this season purely because there's been nothing else to do in this year. And it's meant, it's, it's actually been interesting watching a lot more of other teams. Who, who were your standout team? of the season in, in the Premier League. Who like and it can be just a team from a, a certain period of time. It doesn't have to be over the course of the season. Um but like who, if they were playing, did you think, yeah, I really want to watch them?
0: There are a few. I've loved watching Brighton for a lot of the season. I really rate Graham Potter. And uh, I've ever since we played against them on the second day, I th- I think they're brilliant to watch and deserved a lot more than what they got. That would be one Second, and this is, I think, very common for the season, much as it pains me to say it, Leeds have obviously been, you know, massively entertaining for most of the season, just play such a unique style of football. And from the start of the season, Villa as well, when Grealish was really firing on all cylinders. I mean, he alone is enough to make me turn on a game of football. He's so, so exciting to watch. And I loved I loved watching that Villa team play yeah. with Ollie Watkins as well coming in and, and he was doing really well. That was a fun team to watch at the start of the season. My, my standout team in terms of, maybe not so much in terms of who I enjoyed watching, but who I think has had the best season in the Premier League would be West Ham. I think David Moyes is a 100% manager of the season. For me, what he's done with that squad, a lot of people were tipping to be in a relegation fight. Yeah, it was an unbelievable job. I think West Ham... For me, have definitely had the best season of anyone in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, and been pretty enjoyable to watch. I think the Villa team you, yeah. you mentioned—I I was really excited by that Villa team at the start of season, and basically by—I just watched them every week just to to see Jack Grealish play. And I'm, yeah, he's been given the number seven for England at the Euros. I'm hoping that means he'll be a, a key part of the team and and on the, in the starting lineup for the first game and hopefully for the important games as well because he's just one of those. Maverick players that's brilliant to watch I was going to do this after we um after we spoke a bit about United next season but you mentioned West Ham and, and David Moyes what do you and I'm going to roll Leicester up in this as well two teams that uh did I mean obviously Leicester drops off a little bit at the end as did West Ham but two teams that uh, at least for a good portion of the season exceeded expectations what do you see them doing next season? Do you think West Ham will be affected by... I feel like West Ham, it's hard for managers to go into West Ham because the fans are so frustrated by the ownership as as we are, that managers go in and just one little down period can rile up the fans' frustration at the owners again and make for a really toxic atmosphere. Uh, David Moyes has managed to build a team and build massive support for his team, which means by the time West Ham fans come back next season, suddenly there'll be this good environment around West Ham. And so maybe the return of fans will boost them even further forward. Whereas in the past, I think some West Ham teams have been brought down by their own fans because of the the protests against the ownership.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think West Ham, to be honest, are one of the teams that have benefited from not having fans in the stadium because it can, especially in the new stadium, be... Quite a toxic atmosphere, very very quickly. The future of, of West Ham and Leicester, I think, is really interesting. I think Leicester have a good chance of being able to sustain their place in sort of the top six, or maybe expanding it to a, a big seven and sort of breaking into that group. Because they, this this isn't just a flash in the pan at this point. You know, they've consistently been one of the best four or five sides in England for the last three or four years. I mean, I know they had. They had one season, didn't they, after, yeah. after they won the league, where I think they went back down sort of mid-table under uh, Claud- Claudio Ranieri. Then Claude Puel came in, and they did okay, but not great. Uh, I, I think Brendan Rodgers and the whole everyone involved with Leicester has just done so well. And to me, the, the thing is, they obviously massively overperformed in the season they won the title. And they they still managed maintained some luck, I think, this year, given that they weren't hit by injuries too much. But I think their squad is good enough to to genuinely. This this doesn't feel like they're massively overperforming. If you look through their starting eleven, the depth is an issue, but their starting eleven is up there with with Arsenal, with Tottenham, and probably just only a shade behind the likes of United, Chelsea, and then a bit behind Liverpool and City. You know, I I don't think they're that far off. Whereas I think I look at West Ham and I think things kind of came together a lot more. But I, I really think Leicester are here, to, are here to stay, barring anything unforeseen happening with with Rodgers leaving or a big injury crisis or a bad transfer window. I really think that Leicester are here to stay as a force in English yeah, football.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the the long-term way they've built up and, and the, the Premier League TV deal helped them in a big way because it meant they didn't have to sell their big yeah. players. It meant they could demand, they could make... Maguire stay for another season and then and, and force United to pay eighty million, even after waiting a season. Um, and they're still in that position; they're still absolutely fine financially. Um, and I think Kolech is a, a big addition to the side. So I, yeah, I think they'll be about to stay. I think it's also interesting to see what Spurs and Arsenal do because their their performances next season kind of determine whether it's a top five which it kind of is at the moment or a top seven top six top eight even with West Ham perhaps Everton but not looking good for them at the moment um Let's wrap up by talking about United next season. We said uh unanswerable questions remain, remain to be answered. And there are things that will improve at United next season. There's no doubt about that. There will be natural improvements to younger players, to Ahmad, to Greenwood, to Rashford, to McTominay, to, to Shaw, to all, all sorts of players there'll be new signings. There's no doubt about that. How good those signings are, we'll see, but there will be new signings. There will be, the coaching staff will have learned lessons from this season. They will have improved. McKenna and Carrick are very young. Solskjaer is not young, but, um, He will have improved his management style as all managers do and fans will be back and that will make a difference in some home games where United's form has been pretty questionable all season. There are things that will make United's chances of success worse next season as well. Uh, Chelsea, Liverpool and City improving themselves. That's probably the key one but also fans being back might uh, end United's brilliant away records. Not all season but might make it a little harder to sustain it in such a brilliant way as it has been this season. I think... There are a few key questions to decide. De Gea against Henderson. What happens with Anthony Martial? Where does Mason Greenwood play? Who is sold and who is brought in? Um, I think we maybe we should leave in one word, because I don't want to get stuck on the, a goalkeeping debate again, but who starts the first game next season, Jack?
0: Henderson, no doubt in my mind.
1: Okay, same for me. Uh, let's leave Anthony Martial for a bit. I think we can come back to him in future, and let's leave Macy agreement for a bit and just talk transfers for a second because we're in that kind of period in terms of transfers in I've said before my priority would be a defensive midfielder or at least a deep midfielder followed by a right winger, and then followed by kind of on an equal footing a Right back, no longer a striker because Cavani's staying. I think that one can be delayed to next season, but a right back, another centre back, but only if they're better than Lindelof, which is uh, a difficult one to get on the cheap. And then it's about finding depth elsewhere. But for me, the, the top two are centre mid and right wing, followed by right back. And in which case, if United can sign Jadon Sancho, that would be... A, it would even if it's taken this long, it would still be a brilliant signing, and I'd be so excited by it. But we'll we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think throughout the season, I can remember right back to our season preview, Harry. I think we've always differed on how how important or maybe how how urgent the need is for us to upgrade defensively. I remember us having this debate about what is the strength of United back in the preview episode, and. I still think a centre-back should be very high priority. I'm not sure it is the priority. I think right wing definitely comes before it and maybe central midfield as well. But I, I I, think centre-back should 100% be a priority position for United in this transfer window. And to be honest, I'd put that over adding depth elsewhere because I feel like that is, at the moment, the biggest thing holding us back. I think the the need for a better partner for Maguire, someone that suits his play better, someone that is is just more of a leader at the back alongside Maguire with a bit more pace to allow us to play this high line that Solskjaer clearly wants. Yeah. And obviously by adding them, then we have we have Lindelof sort of as as added depth. I think that that I think for United honestly, and this is a a good thing because it means that. The other positions are relatively stable. We have very, very clear areas to target, yeah. regardless of the priority that list that you sort of put them in. In past seasons, I think we could have done this exercise and and gone through seven yeah. or eight different positions that we needed to upgrade. Whereas I think it's quite clear that the the big three for in terms of starting players is right wing, central midfield, centre back. Completely agree with you about right back. Add some competition for Wan-Bissaka, whether it's Trippy or someone else. Preferably someone who can offer more in an attacking sense as well to give us a different option when we play against low blocks and then I think adding adding depth sort of all over the pitch definitely at um, in attack I mean I know we've had Martial out injured for a lot of the season um, but we are we are still somewhat thin over there because so many of our players can cover more than one position it feels like we have a lot of depth but but actually if one of uh, them gets injured it's a problem
1: yeah I'm really excited to see Ahmad next season because he's had he's started well and he's he is a really exciting player and not just an exciting was, player. We but,
0: never did an episode on, on this game, but he he was brilliant against Wolves on the final day. He
1: was, yeah. And I, I think what I've really liked about it, I saw this in in the under-23s, but it's it's a little bit different there. But I re- was really pleased to see it in the in the first team, is it, just how mature his game is. There was a moment against, uh, I think it was Fulham, where he took on a couple of men down the right-hand side. He came off the bench, took on a couple of men, beat them came up against the third and realised he couldn't beat him and so cut inside and and just waited assessed his options and eventually passed inside to Pogba now it would be great if he could go around all three but that's not always possible and I just appreciated the maturity to kind of step back and say hold on I'm just going to recycle possession and then I can try again in a second and it kind of sums up his game he's he is really mature in his game as well as really exciting and so he will be in the
0: Wolves game as well there's a few moments he was getting fouled left right and centre throughout the Wolves game and he he stayed remarkably calm even when he was sort of getting kicked around
1: yeah I think there'll be a lot of youth in that United team next season we're still to see what will happen with James Gardner but Hannibal and and Chiratera I expect to stay at the club and then get a few first team minutes Um, and
0: potentially Anthony Alanga as well after that great performance against Wolves yeah
1: so I think there is and I also think a lot of signings can for example right back Ethan Laird is a very talented right back he's not ready to come into the team next season I think he'll go out on loan again either to the championship or I mean a Premier League loan's probably too soon to him but a championship loan a year there would be really good for him United rating really highly and so signing Trippier having Trippi and Wan-Bissaka and then Ethan Laird to come in in a year, possibly two, possibly even three, is fine. I think there are a few positions like that across the pitch where United rate James Garner really highly. So signing an experienced midfielder and then hoping that Garner comes in in a couple of years, that's also okay. Um, I think there are a lot of well, reasons... Garner,
0: to your point earlier about McTominay being a, a third-choice midfielder, Garner, I think, would, would complement that quite nicely in that he's... Yeah a little bit more of an offensive kind of silky passer than McTominay and, and offers us something a little bit different, but could either play alongside McTominay or alongside this mystery third midfielder that we'll hopefully yeah. be bringing in this summer.
1: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, a, quite a few reasons to be excited about United. There's some things that hold it back and we're very dependent on how this summer goes. If these rumours are true and that United can manage to wrap up Trippi, Varane and Sancho within a few weeks, that would be immense and uh, but United's best summer for years I can't see all of that happening and I definitely can't see it happening smoothly but we'll see Um we should wrap up there's plenty of more to talk about over the course of the summer and, and next season but if I had to ask you right now where United will finish next season what would you say it's a. It's such a hard because of all those unanswerables, It's such a hard question to answer. To
0: be honest, I think what I'm finding most difficult about it. Obviously, there's a lot of unanswered questions about United, but I think it's more everyone else, especially mm-hmm. the, especially Liverpool and City, because I think I think there are yeah. very valid arguments to say that both Liverpool and City could go either way. I think we're seeing now a lot of speculation that a lot of City's players could be leaving. And their famed squad depth could be getting thinned out. I think we've seen that Liverpool it is is the stump that Liverpool had a sign that the league is sort of catching up to them, or was it just the blip? They've obviously signed Canate. I expect them to sign some more some more players. I think if I if you had to push me now, I would say second. I don't know who it would be behind one of Liverpool and or City. Yeah. I don't know which one. I don't think. I expect one of one of City and Liverpool to break 90 points next season and I don't see United doing that. If it If it's 85 points to win the league, then I think that's achievable. But I expect United to end next season with between 77 and 85 points.
1: Okay, I'm going to go and I'll change this tomorrow. But I'm going to go one of City and Liverpool to win it, one of them to finish fourth, Chelsea to finish second and United third. But... I was on a run the other day, and I was think I was thinking about my predictions, and I said Chelsea to win it, United second, City third, Liverpool fourth. So it's it's impossible to tell yet. But my my prediction right now is United third, which is not what we want. But I just think the other teams around us will improve at a greater rate than we will. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, we we all can this also in- see us going kind of far in every competition, and. Kind of sacrificing our league position at the end yeah. of the season, but being up there for quite a while.
0: Yeah, which to be fair is is somewhat what happened this season as well. We we weren't really sacrificing the league yeah. position, but obviously our our form tailed off. And we ended up, I think, what was it, 12, 10 points off City in the end, and it probably should have been more like five. Um, but I mean, I think I think that we we said this at this at the start of this season as well, and it obviously didn't quite pan out. But I think there is a real chance that next season there are four really, really top teams in England, in City, Liverpool, United and Chelsea. The chance of all of them playing at their best consistently is very low. Yeah, But I think there is a chance that all four of them are, are genuinely in a title fight for at least half a year. It
1: could be one of those seasons and where I, two teams fight for the title for the whole of the first half of the season and then a different two fight for it for the whole of the second half of the season. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Which, to be fair, is is to some degree, what we saw this season as well, with Liverpool obviously leading so much yeah. at the start. Then we came in and then City kind of ramped up and then eventually ran Spurs away. Spurs were
1: there for a while.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think there will be... So, Southampton
1: the, were there for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there were so many teams that were up in the top four at some point in the season. I think yeah. I, I, honestly do think that the biggest thing holding United back is... I mean, obviously there are, there's so much at, at United it's us, ourselves, but I think it's the competition, I think it's going to yeah, be really so. really fierce competition next season
1: yeah right we will wrap things up there maybe,
0: maybe this is the question as well Harry will we finally win a trophy next season
1: <laughs> yeah yeah we will let's end it in a positive way <laughs> third and a trophy third and a trophy that's would what you, I'll would for. you
0: would you be happy with that third and a trophy having finished this season second and trophy
1: depends on the opposition in the league if they're as good as I expect yeah. them to be then yeah probably because I think one of City and Liverpool will be really good. I can't tell which one yet. I think Chelsea will definitely be really good. Third and a trophy. Yeah. Depends. Uh, ideally, the FA Cup or, or the Champions League would, would go down okay. Um, I guess, um. Yeah, yeah. Right, we will write things up there. Thank you for listening. Thank you f- to those who have listened all season for your support for for tuning in every week through the good and the bad, and and to those of you who have left reviews. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us throughout the season, our first season on Patreon. and It's been really exciting doing bonus Q and As, bonus episodes, all of that sort of stuff. Um, we'll be off for a few weeks, enjoying the Euros, sitting in gardens, drinking beer, sitting in the sun watching more football because we haven't done enough of that this year already um if you want to find jack's opinions on more and more and more football you can find him on twitter at
0: at T A I T.
1: you can find me on twitter at harry robertson64 and you can find the podcast itself at utd weekly pod that's pod at the end there i don't know when we'll be back next time but thank you for listening have a great week have a good summer goodbye Network.